Dunn spun away, looking, shooting! Dunn with a goal! Well done by What's good and welcome to another episode of Diaspora United. I'm Andre Carlisle, one half of your hosting team. That sounded weird. Uh, <laughs> I'm here with my uh, co-host, Courtney. Courtney, how are you doing today? I'm okay. I have brand new braids. My mm. scalp is going to hurt tomorrow, but <laughs> I'm reaching a level of unstoppable right now because, you know, having new hair... Just makes you feel a different way. And I'm really excited about it because also my hair is long and I'm going to try to be like Beyonce in the formation video. So <laughs> I respect it and support it 100%. <laughs> <laughs> That's what's up. So um, before we move on, uh, I want to do a review, uh, make sure we do that out, get that out of the way. Then we'll do like a little episode rundown and we'll get into uh, what we're going to talk about. So real quick, want to read this review. It's another really good review. Y'all are y'all are kind of killing us with the reviews, but we we asked for it and we appreciate it. Um, we got to get better at taking compliments, I suppose, because y'all are being hella nice. Um, this one is just titled "Love It." It's by Cheryl Nunez, and it reads: "I could listen to Courtney and Andre analyze Woso all day. Their insights and perspectives centering Black women in the game are what's been missing from so much soccer coverage, and I'm grateful to have their humor, excitement, joy, bewilderment." exasperation and thoughtfulness help guide my fandom hope the pod brings them as much joy as it brings their listeners good lord cheryl good lord that was so nice thank you for being why are you guys so nice like (laughs) (laughs) this is literally so nice that's all i can say about it it's extremely nice so thank you cheryl if you're listening to this on a on a pod app that allows you to review uh or rate please do uh five stars please and thank you and if you want to drop a review, uh, we absolutely love them. Even though we can't take compliments, uh, we may read it on the podcast and react awkwardly because that's how we roll. Uh, we're getting better at it. It'll be all good. Um, so uh, what we're going to do real quick is do an episode rundown. I'm going to let y'all know what we're going to talk about. Um, we're going to drop some news and notes. We're going to do an NWSL weekend recap, uh, which Courtney's going to handle. And then we have a guest. Um, we thought with all of the really unfortunate news, um, I guess both recently and over the past couple of years um, going on, specifically the recent part, specifically with the Washington Spirit and Richie Burke, we wanted to have on someone from the supporters supporters group there. So Doug from Rose Room Collective is going to join us. We're going to talk about the Richie Burke situation, but then we're also going to talk about all uh, many other situations and what it means for the league going forward and some of the changes the league needs to make, particularly with the CBA coming up. Uh, so that is going to be definitely an interesting conversation. Um, hopefully it's a thoughtful one. Hopefully it gets to the right ears as well. Uh, we know y'all will appreciate it, but we want to make sure that the league somehow, if we keep screaming, maybe they'll listen. So that's going to be the plan. Screaming like that car repeatedly honking in my background. <laughs> Somebody, somebody needs to hurry up. That's a, that's a, I've been out here too long getting the car kind of honk. Yeah, 100%. Do you want to lead us off with some news? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, news, uh, we're, we don't have too many news items. Uh, and so we're going to run through them real quick. Someone retired too late. Uh, someone's talking shit. And the WICC and the Women's Cup are going to be kicking off Wednesday and wrapping up Saturday 
those are your news hits. <laughs> so um, <laughs> full disclosure, I was uh, not able, I was kind of away with very minimal uh, internet connection and unable to really watch any of the games. So honestly, I'm going to lay out and kind of let Courtney review. She'll do the score reviews and talk about the matches that she watched. And um, yeah, I'm kind of going to just sit here and drink water and listen. Wait, Andre, but before we start, so you mentioned WICC, which is women's, and um, it's the women's ICC. Right. That's what it stands for. Uh, teams are Barcelona, OL, or sorry, Lyon, not OL Reigns <laughs> Parent Club, Lyon, Portland, and Houston. Andre, off the top of your head, we're not even delving into lineups. Who do you think is going to win? Oh. Um, Putting you on spot. You are. You are definitely putting me on the spot. Um, I I want to say Leon. Interesting. I'm going to say Barcelona only because Barcelona like beat someone two weeks ago, 17-0. And I don't think <laughs> even the incredible back line of Portland, because I do think Portland's going to be Houston, can really stop them. So if Leon yeah. does, I will honestly be so excited to watch that because that was the Champions League matchup that we didn't we've never like been able to see recently um so but flipping to the other side women's cup we have louisville chicago psg and bayern who do you think's taking home the inaugural crown yeah whereas the the icc the women's icc is is a slight bit of a toss-up to me between Lyon and barcelona and i think even portland depending on you know if crystal dunn's gonna be back that changes things a little bit um, but but this one, the Women's Cup, I think this one's pretty cut and dry. That's going to be Bayern Munich. Yeah, I agree. I think Bayern's going to take it. Uh, if PSG was at their level from last year, I would make a better argument. I like think it could be a toss-up between them, but I think with who Bayern has now and who PSG has now, I do think it's going to be one of them, but I hope that Mal Pugh and Ebony Salmon still score a whole bunch of goals. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, if PSG, like, half their team didn't leave, I, I <laughs> it would be much more interesting and competitive, I think. But uh, but I think Bayern's got this one because PSG's, I, yeah, I don't, I, I still, I've said it before. I said it on Twitter and I've said it on this podcast. I want, like, a six-part documentary on what in the world happened at PSG. Like, they won the league and everybody was like, cool, thanks, bye. Truly fascinating. And... Yeah, I would agree. I also want a six-part documentary series. I would also like like a 14-part documentary series um, about the NWSL since the 2020 Challenge Cup and also all the crazy things that have happened so far this season. But before we go ahead into that, we're going to give you a rundown of NWSL matches. Uh, so the first match of the weekend was Houston Dash versus Washington Spirit. It ended 2-2 in a... I mean, to me, the match was pretty fun to watch. Uh, we had goals by Alasco and uh for the dash and also a bam new signing actually michaela bam i made a really great joke on twitter you guys should go all find that joke <laughs> because i made a great pun off her name um but yeah um a bam scored and then for the spirit it was nielsen and houston i think from this match the real thing that i really want to say and andre please jump in as our resident spirit expert uh, was it was really fun to see like a bam come on and just score like it was just a who doesn't love a late game equalizer in the 83rd minute just came in I mean I think she'd only come in a few moments before and it might have been 
like her first or second touch of the match. Um, but, you know, just went equalized for Houston. We love to see it because we always love when the diaspora does well. Um, but really, my main takeaway from this match is that Houston still needs to do Megan Thee Stallion content. It is my one thing that I will truly never give up in life. If anyone from the Houston Dash is listening to this, please, if you can, please do some Megan Thee Stallion, Michaela Bam content. We need it. I personally need it. But also give the people what they want. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's really all I want. Andre, do you have anything to say from the spirit side? Um, I felt for the players. I think it was probably a good thing that they were, um, that they had a match on Friday, honestly. Um, I know Chris Ward, who took over, um, as kind of the head coaching duties, I suppose, there's kind of a joint between him and the new goalkeeper coach, Paul Crichton. Um, they both kind of got the squad prepared. Um, I know after the match, Chris said he was going to give the team a couple days off, like the whole weekend off to, to connect with family, to just kind of like decompress from a very stressful week. Um, so maybe it was a bit of a, um, in terms of a bad situation, it's probably best that they were able to get the game out of the way. Looked good, you know, looking going up 2-0 um, in the 53rd minute, um, but then just couldn't hold on. So, you know, and the, the team, you know, I was on the presser after that, and the team was pretty frustrated uh, that they couldn't hold on and get the win, but they were still satisfied with the point. Um, I, will, I will say, like, Paige Nielsen's goal to me is in contention for one of the goals of the season in the NWSL so far, because mm -hmm. that was a straight up banger. <laughs> like, I don't know. I know she can strike a ball very cleanly, um, especially as a center back. Center backs are pretty good at getting clean strikes, but getting like directed strikes and keeping the ball down is the, is the difficult part. And her volley technique and the way that that ball whipped it, I th even think it like skimmed a little bit off the inside of the post before hitting into the back of the net. Like, it was just a straight up banger, and I loved it. Um, but I think that's about all I got on that one. Yeah, I think the only thing for me also with this was that we saw Jasmine Spencer make the most unfortunate move to outside back, which pains oh, me. Yeah, I saw that. It was it was it was frustrating. And I mean, to me, it didn't like I understand trying to get your best players on the field all at once. But also when you take your, I, who I would argue is your best, like currently on form forward of the past month and you move her to outside back, like, and maybe that was like tactical if like Trinity was starting, I don't know. But to me, it just like kind of hampered their attack at points. And I mean, the fact that they came back and got two goals was awesome, but I was also like, hey, if you want to score goals, put in the player that has been scoring and creating goals for you. Yeah, I mean, honestly, Houston had Jasmine Spencer and Jamia Fields back there playing, playing an outside back. And like you said, the, the Jasmine Spencer one, I mean, both I don't love. The Jasmine Spencer one, I, really, I know Rachel Daly came back and was in the lineup. And that's, you know, and so was Sophie, uh, Sophie Schmidt. But Jasmine Spencer carried you through a time and was in really good form. And I understand like the the thought process of just getting players on the pitch, but I also think that that's kind of messed up. <laughs> like I, I I don't think that that's the right way to do it. Um, particularly that the, those outside back roles because we know what happens there. And honestly, the other thing about this is, and this is something that I I think gets lost because 
you know, obviously we hate it for the obvious reasons where it always seems like, you know, oh, you're fast and black, athletic, whatever. You can play outside back. But I also think that you really do yourself a disservice when you don't have somebody that actually specializes in outside back play. Like Crystal Dunn has talked a number of times about all the things that are required to actually be solid and excellent in that position. It's not just being somebody who can run up and down that flank. And not saying that Jasmine Fencer can't actually play that role, but just saying like it's not an it's not something where you just go plopping players in there for a game or two. When coaches do that, and it's disappointing to see that they're just like, ah, just wanted to get my best players on the pitch. Okay, so put them in their best positions. Hello, that's all. I mean, mic drop right there. Uh, so yeah. Also, I do think there were a few missed penalty calls, but I don't want to talk about refereeing because to me there were some <laughs> questionable refereeing things in truly every single one of these matches this week. Um, but moving on to the next one, we got a 1-1 tie between the Orlando Pride and Portland Thorns. Uh, Jody Taylor scored for the Pride. And of course, for Portland, who else is scoring off a header set in the box than Simone Charlie? Simone Charlie will dunk on you on a header and it will be embarrassing. And it's better to just accept this reality and then try scoring goals (laughs) on the other side of the pitch. Um, I will say I thought this match was, I don't know. I honestly felt like every match this week was low key crunchy. (laughs) Like just (laughs) like just a lot of fouls or like, or even calls that should have been fouls that were given as fouls. Um, But yeah, I just thought, yeah, I honestly just kind of thought the match was crunchy and it was great to see Charlie score. Um, Sid LaRue was still out here doing like as much as she can. I remember, like, I think right before Charlie scored, um, <laughs> literally Sid had, well, it was like a corner or ball. The ball was getting played in the box. And who had that first defensive header? Sidney LaRue. And she's just like her performance over and over again. Like she has up to me a proper shout for MVP this season, like has just been giving her all consistently. Um, and even though, and even when she's like not getting on the score sheet, she is still putting in that work, still, um, you know, adding in a lot of really important contributions. And so even though the pride, like, and I actually really thought the pride was going to quickly, um, snatch a winner at the very end but i also thought the thorns were going to do that so you know pretty even match and the pride stopped the thorns from you know their little winning streak so the i mean the thorns still sit at the top of the table but now it's only a five yeah it's only a five point gap currently um but on well andre is there anything you want to add um just so i full disclosure didn't see this match but obviously with the result i was I was actually really pleased to see this result, even though it wasn't a win for the Pride. I do think that like they went, they they kind of struggled a little bit without their international players, right? And they're going to be without Alex Morgan for a little while longer, so she's injured. I don't, I haven't seen an update on how long she's going to be out. But I remember, you know, what in started in what uh, late June they lost to the Houston Dash. Then they lost to the Courage. They had a tie, one-one tie with the uh, Rossing Louisville. Then they lost to the Thorns. They lost to the Rain. They had a draw with the Courage, and it just seems like you know. Then they come back and they beat the Red Stars two-nil. And so it was just kind of good to see them kind of, even though this wasn't a win, they kind of like stopped the slide a little bit. And mm-hmm. you, one of the teams you don't want to see is when you're when you're on the verge of sliding is the Portland Thorns. So I think they did a really good job 
of of uh, and of course I do need to watch the match and I will. <laughs> but it seems like they did a good job of of holding off, holding that off and still getting a point from a very difficult match. But on to I think a match that everyone in Woso is happy about. Kansas City won their first match of the season, beating Rain 1-0 off a Victoria Pickett goal in the 63rd minute. I'm curious, just off the top of my head, I'm really surprised I didn't actually change that to a Cook own goal because she definitely had a touch that poked it past Buhati. Um, But the most interesting thing coming out of this match for me, besides Kansas City getting their first win, and you could definitely tell just the look on the players' faces after, like, really said it all. Just, like, not only just, like, happy that they won, but also relief. Like, I feel like not winning a game just kind of held almost like a storm cloud over their head. Because I remember as soon as the ref blew the whistle, the camera team cut to goalkeeper Abby Smith, and she just looked absolutely elated, which is awesome. Um, But pointed out to us by one of our Twitter followers who actually, like, clipped the podcast, which I was very surprised about. I was not expecting it. Um, Andre, last week you had asked me if I thought that Kansas City could, like, get the win over the rain, and I was like... I mean, no, but also the last time a team won by five goals, they won, they lost their next two matches off the bounce. And that happened this week. Oh, snap. Nostradamus. <laughs> so, yeah, good for Kansas City. Um, I mean, I think the rain will like probably find things to work on this match. Um, to me, at one point, I really thought no one was going to win, and I was going to have a really good tweet about the NWSL so far only being ties. But. <laughs> Kansas City you know got the win got their first win of the season and especially for I'm like not only happy for the team but I'm also really happy for their supporters because it's hard to have like your home team move and then move back and not necessarily be as successful as they were hoping to be so it's great for the team and it's also great for the fans yeah this was really shocking to see (laughs) when I got enough connectivity (laughs) to see like a score update I was so happy for Kansas City. And I was like, what happened to the rain? Like, honestly, 5-1 the, the following week, and then you you lose to a team who hasn't won all season. I, obviously, the win had to be coming at some point. I'm just so super glad they got it. And I'm so happy it wasn't just like, you know, uh, uh, like a like an 85th minute penalty against like Rossing Louisville or something like that. Like, nah, they went in when the rain were like at their highest that they've been and took them out. And that's awesome. So shout out to them. Yeah, shout out to them. Um, And I actually think, like, I can't lie before this, the match was like a little boring. Like each team was having, you know, a few or so chances on goal. But to me, none of them were really, really threatening. And the fact that also the way this goal happened off of like a free kick that for the first time, like hit the wall. And instead of doing a normal soccer thing where you hit the wall and it like bounces back towards you, it just deflected and Pickett was fully open. <laughs> and, um, you know, to be fair, Alana Cook helped her a little bit. But, you know, good for Kansas City. Um, and on to our next match of the week, Gotham won, Racing Louisville won. Both goals are scored by members of the delegation. Uh, in the 13th minute, Nadia Nadim scored for Racing Louisville. And then in the 83rd minute, friend of the pod, player who to me also has if i'm being honest a shout for mvp this season and a player who never stops searching for goals mm-hmm. ify anamanu listen if ify had been starting from the beginning like she should have been absolute mvp candidate 
Look, I think she still is, but she to me she'd be in the lead because she's been incredible ever since she finally got uh, to the starts that she's deserved. Right, one hundred percent. To me, I mean, I'm all the funniest thing about this goal before I actually talk about the match because Freya Coombe did some interesting, let's say, things uh, for Gotham this week. For some reason, I was just. I don't know why I was I was caught so off guard by the goal, even though I was watching the game. It was almost like slow motion. It was like saw her get the ball, saw her turn, saw her shoot, and then all of a sudden it was like split second goal uh ball hitting, and I mean hitting the back of the net. And for some reason I just gasped really loud. But I was also low-key a hot mess that match because I got attacked by a dragonfly. Um I'm I'm not joking. Like the guy behind me started cracking up because a dragonfly flew into my face. And then I like squealed because I was like, what is going on? And then the guy behind me literally started cracking up. And I was like, no one sits behind me in the press box. So I can normally just be awkward by myself. Uh, But yeah, so for for Gotham, uh, Freya Kuhn made some changes. There was, instead of Gotham's normal 4-3-3, even though they put that out on the match lineup, uh, Gotham actually played a three-five-two. So <laughs> it was like really fascinating to watch this match because Gotham just started out so poorly. Like, and I mean, it's not even like it's not like anyone, for example, was playing bad, but it was just like shift in formation. I genuinely enjoy three at the back, but to make three at the back work, you need. Besides having like a really solid holding midfielder, which Gotham does have, but you need two other, if you're going to play a 3-5-2, you need two other really, really like dynamic midfielders. And not saying that Zerboni and Tine aren't that, but having uh, Lee and Cujo, hashtag free Cujo, but having Cujo and Lee come in, it was like genuinely night and day. And I was like, this is why it's so important to have Cujo in the midfield at all times because a she takes off a little bit of like kind of the the main passer responsibilities that Ali Long normally does but also just like having that midfield three of Lee Kujo and Ali Long to me is the strongest midfield three of Gotham and when you saw the three of them play together and just like even little small things of like anticipating other players movements to get those you know balls through because at times Gotham kind of looked a tiny bit disjointed, you know, it just really, really made a big difference. And to me, that was the most important thing because they were losing it in the midfield and having a three, five, two really neutralized one of Gotham's best players who is Caprice Didasco. Like I thought she had a fine game, but it was also like, she's really, really good at outside back and can play on either side. And just having her as wing back to me, just kind of neutralized it. And so we often saw several different overloads on the wings, even though also friend of the pod, Estelle Johnson was to me should have been player of the match. Genuinely did not take a step wrong this match. To me, she for the most part neutralized Ebony Salmon um, and was just like such a defensive stalwart. But yeah, that three five two from Gotham was quite fascinating. But I do think the team like Gotham grew into the grew into the formation and then. Freya Kuhn adding in Lee, Cujo, and Pinto, like just really, really added life to the team, which helped because then they went and got an equalizer. For the racing side, I thought Nadim, honestly, 
100% still has it. Salmon didn't have the best, to me, didn't have the best game, even though she got, like, she still got an assist. But I think when I, normally when I watch her, I'm like, wow, Ebony Salmon, even though she still had those moments, when you're being defended by a super veteran defender of Estelle Johnson, it, like, you know, things happen to your game. But interesting match. I do think, for the most part, racing did play well. Um, But I also think it helped them that Gotham wasn't, their usual self for the first half of the match. This is probably the match that I'm most interested in rewatching because I saw, like I looked up the lineup and I was like, it, was that a real three? I think I, I think I even messaged you, Courtney. I was like, are they really playing three at the back? <laughs> like, or is this the, the, the Google person or whoever inputs these things uh, when you type in NWSL or Gotham or whatever, and you get the little, you know, the little summary thing, I was like, is this accurate? Because sometimes, many times they aren't. Um, mm-hmm. And so when you were like, yeah, I was like, okay, now I really want to see this. I do think that like a three at the back is going to end up being a bit of a revolution in women's soccer. I love three at the I back. I really do think that Chelsea's going to, the Emma Hayes is going to have Chelsea doing a three, five or a three, four, three or a three, five, two, or a, uh, uh, there's a few very variations of that that she can do. Um, and I think they're going to try and do that. So I'm very interested to see. I also completely like, even without, you know, having watched the match, I agree with everything you said. Like when when you look at the three players, and these are the three players that have been in their 4-3-3, the three midfielders, there's just a dynamism that's missing. And you need somebody who really plays as an eight very well, who is, has passing range and can move fluidly and transition from offense to defense, you know, from attack to defending. And I think Cujo can do that. So Boney's good at defending, but she's not great at the attacking point. And so I think that you have, that, that they're kind of getting their midfield wrong. And I do think that like, if it will be interesting for me to see how those players, how Lee and Cujo change that midfield, because I feel like I agree with you, like that's gotta be it. And then you add Pinto in there and, and then you have many problems and eventually you add Mitch in there and then you have all the problems in the world. So I'm very <laughs> interested to see what this three five two looks like and if they're going to stick with it. Because I don't really know what it was about Louisville that, that Freya decided that this was the match other than I want to try this out because they can match up well with uh, Louisville with their regular four three three. So I wonder why she decided this was the match to do that. But I kind of hope she keeps it because um, I think seeing it a couple more times would be interesting with the proper midfielders. That is. Yeah, so I actually... I didn't ask about this, but someone asked about this uh, to Freya and I think to Allie Long. Um, and it was basically the decision was because Louisville p- plays so often through the midfield, kind of through the center that they wanted to clog it. <laughs> I don't necessarily think that worked. Um, and also one thing that I did yeah, it's forget. It's a strange approach when like your midfield can really overpower and play around Louisville's midfield. Like they're not that strong to where you got to be like, oh, got to shut their midfield down. <laughs> like. You can handle yeah. them, I'm sure. Yeah, I think it was like a com- It was like that, and I think I honestly think Estelle's main job was like just being on Ebony Salmon the entire time, mm-hmm. um, which to be fair worked. There was one time where she switched, and I think there was like a through ball over the top, and she was actually through and on goal. And um, Sheridan made a huge save. I did forget to mention that because she did have like one besides her assist had one really big moment, um, and Sheridan saved that, which to me like. Because when I came to this match, I was like, I know Sheridan's back, but also like Didi has stoned her head like 19 times <laughs> since she's played. Um, but I thought, okay, like 
yeah, that's why that's also why Sheridan has like a really great shout to be like the starting keeper of this team. Um, I'm curious to know what's going to happen later on in the season um, through international breaks and also through these expansion drafts coming up. But yeah, like really, we're going to have to do a whole episode on like three at the back because I that's always my preferred formation. But to do it successfully, you need like dynamo midfielders. I'm not saying that Gotham doesn't have that, but they're not to me. They're not being deployed in the right way. Um, But to wrap up, the last match of the week was North Carolina Courage 1, Red Stars 0. The Courage 1 through a, interesting, let's say, uh, Amy Rodriguez penalty in the 39th minute. I called on a handball on Kayla Sharples. To me, I understood why it was given because, so the ball was getting whipped in and it's not that she made her, I didn't necessarily think she made herself bigger, but her movement to get the ball was first through her arm. And so even though it hit, it like basically the dead center of the ball hit right on the t-shirt line, like your sleeve line, which by the letter of the law for IFAB, because your girl looked, I was looking about things about yellow cards, but I did read the IFAB rules when I was on my way back to Brooklyn. Um, by the letter of the law of the game that that like would not have been given as a penalty. And I think what made the ref potentially give it as a penalty was the movement of arm towards the ball. Um, but I still don't think <laughs> I can't, I still don't think that was a penalty, but you know, courage got the win and they're still up second at the top of the table. I thought on the, I don't know. The match was weird because well, the match started out weird because there was a rain delay crazy rainstorm like (laughs) crazy clouds started off not raining then it really started raining by the end of it um I thought Casey Murphy had a good performance I thought Sarah Gordon again had a really really good performance um she just has a such innate ability to just take an informer striker and just kind of neutralize them in the best way um yeah and I think the other thing from this match is we're starting to now that oh also Dabinia was back so that was fun to see and I thought she also had a a good match, but to me, honestly, the best way to describe this match was crunchy. There were a lot of tackles, like crunching tackles and a lot of free kicks. Um, but, you know, North Carolina and specifically Amy Rodriguez stepped up when she needed to and, uh, you know, scored the penalty and courage take all three points, even though they de- like there were definitely chances for them to go and get that equalizer. And also the last thing I'm going to say is we need to have a proper conversation about Teams properly paying off the transition because I thought both teams had massive moments where they could have scored on transition or like at least attempted a shot on goal. And instead they both mostly for the most part stopped and waited for other people to run back. And I was like, you're taking away your moment. So maybe we need to have a full conversation about counterattacking. Yeah, actually that's a, that would, would be a good one. I think, I think we should do that. Like have little mini segments too, where we do like a three at the back, kind of like talk about that for a bit. And then we kind of talk about transition. I do think we could dive into some interesting things and some concepts because I do think you see that quite a bit. Teams want to be defensive and they want to stop and they want to press and they want to get to turnovers. But then, you know, sometimes once the ball is won and you're trying to move, there's not great coordinated movement. And players don't really draw defenders one way or another to kind of help sometimes. And so I I do think that there are, since those are like so, that's such a key thing of NWSL play 
it's interesting that you don't see, well, I guess it will, we'll talk about it. <laughs> it's, it's maybe not interesting, but yeah, like so, some of the coaching seems that it doesn't, it doesn't, it leaves a lot to be desired when you know that players can be put in better positions. Yeah, 100%. And there were also some things that I did not mention in the rundown, but we are still going to talk about them later, specifically during the Kansas City rain match uh, with the consistent misgendering of Quinn. But after this quick break, we're going to talk about all of the NWSL issues since the 2020 Challenge Cup. This has been, honestly, it's a long list, but we're also bringing in someone special to come talk about it with us. So we will see you in a bit. We'll be right back. All right, and welcome back to Diaspora United. I am Andre Carlisle. Of course, you just heard me talking, and you also heard Courtney talking, but we have someone else talking <laughs> with us today um, from Rose Room Collective, which is one of the four co-founders of Rose Room Collective. Man, that's that's going to be a tongue twister situation. Um, it's an independent supporter group of the Washington Spirit and DC United by and for people of color. I've got my friend, Doug. Doug Douglas. Hey, hey. I am good. I am good. It's been a it's been a heck of a week. It's been a lot this week. I'm feeling good, but yeah, it's been a lot this week. Yeah, we wanted to have uh, without Doug. Do you prefer Doug or Douglas? Both are fine. Okay, perfect. All right, I'll go with both. I might just switch it up. Who knows? Yeah, I sometimes I sometimes do Doug just because it's one syllable. Done. <laughs> gotcha. Gotcha. That works. So yeah, we we wanted to have someone on directly from a supporters group. Um, and what better one to go with than Rose Room Collective? If you don't know who they are, check them out um, on Twitter um, and Instagram as well. Um, really good or um, um, supporters group set up. They're always there, always loud, um, but definitely needed in this area. I say this area because I live in this area, um, have lived in this area and know that this was very much needed. So <laughs> and uh, full disclosure, uh, when Doug was working, working on putting this thing together, he kind of like, Messaged me and was like, "What do you think?" I was like, "Hell yes, please make this happen as soon as you possibly can." So I love to see it. Um, love to see it. What we don't love to see transition <laughs> is what just what just went down with the Washington Spirit. And if you don't know, uh, Molly Hensley Clancy, uh, writer, investigative journalist for the Washington Post, dropped a report. Uh, in which he talked to several former players in, uh, who were unnamed, including one named player, Kaya McCullough, who used to be on the Washington Spirit, who divulged a lot of information about what playing under Richie Burke was like, a lot of verbal abuse, a lot of inappropriate jokes, and slash, you can even take away the inappropriate in many occasions, just straight up racist jokes. Say, Doug, when you saw this drop, um, what was your initial reaction? Um, my initial reaction was both a mix of a mixture of anger, horror, but also a lack of shock. Immediately thinking back to the first reporting that came out back in 2019 when he first got hired and some of the allegations that were out there in the open then. We had heard from the spirit from that back then that, oh, you know, they did their due diligence, looked into it and whatever. But clearly something failed there because <laughs> it happened again. And it's just absolutely mind-boggling that they allowed it to happen again yeah so i and and i wanted to also then speak to almost the betrayal of that right because you try to say okay the the club 
seemed to be aware or, or said that they were aware of things in his past and that that would you would like to assume right good faith that if that's the case then you're going to keep an additional eye on this and make sure this doesn't happen here because have it happening here would be really bad you care about your players enough in theory you care about your players enough to where you wouldn't want these things to happen so like i think that was one of in addition to feeling you know so you know frustrated and sad for the players and so like that whole betrayal of this where they just kind of let Richie be full Richie with zero accountability until it gets to this point like how did that reality kind of I guess sit with you from talking to other supporters the general sense of gauging our reaction and the wider supporter reaction here and from the sphere community you feel like you got conned like you got played and no one wants to be in that kind of position. You try to put your faith in this club. They did that due diligence. And then you turn around and find out that this happened. We had, that's the permeating sensation I get from talking to everybody. Like we got played by the ownership and the management that was named in the athletic article. And we had already had our own interactions with the ownership that had already given us clues and insight into how his thought process was that, explains also how we got here i guess in terms of credibility you know like you mentioned with the ownership group that's there where do they stand where does the supporters group stand with that and i guess even looking forward a little bit like what is required to kind of like even attempt to regain any bit of that okay from spirit squadron i know they released their statement mentioning wanting more answers because the most recent release from Steve Baldwin was frankly some absolutely weak stuff. And it's like, no, that's that's not the answer. That's not good enough. And then for us at Roseroom Collective, we just had enough information and pieces put together. We're just like, especially with that athletic article from Meg Linehan and that crew, it just feels completely untenable to even have them. The three individuals that were named there, um, Steve Baldwin, Larry Best, and Richie Burke, for us, it felt like the only way that they can have any credibility back is if those three are gone. Cause it just feels like those three in particular were the catalyst for creating this entire environment. And it just does not seem tenable that they can be around this organization and somehow allow it to try to recover. I just don't see that happening here. And I think for me, that was the biggest betrayal is that, you know, the players endured so much while they continue to, put forth this face of everything's fine, everything's okay, knowing that players were suffering under their watch and being, and it was enabled by both, by all, all three. One of them was doing it, two of them were enabling it. One thing I'll also mention on top of everything, I'm sorry, I'm kind of stumbling on my own words here. I have the thought process here. On top of just the players, there are staff in that organization that had no involvement on this that are having to deal with the blowback that I also sympathize with right now, folks in the communications team, folks in the ticket staff side, uh, folks in other arms of that organization that I'm, like I've gotten word from multiple folks in that FO that there's there's a lot of anger and pain right now because of these three men, these three white men. Something worth mentioning, and it's just like, oh, this is the epitome of it all. There is a amazingly talented black woman that is the person running the spirit social and she is the one having to take the abuse online for the decisions of all of these these three old white dudes like that just kind of like sums it up just doesn't it in terms of the bs levels i'm trying to kind of bring down trying to calm myself here a little bit well one thing that i have unfortunately been thinking about is 
how and like this is Loki a transition but not really of just this is another example of now to be fair it's not the league it's a team in the league but also like <laughs> leading people astray and I mean I remember when we were recording it was like he's stepping down for health issues and then he's coming back and it was like okay hope you're okay and then we're like and like to me as a person who you know I was not necessarily like the most tapped into a lot of NWSL stuff um in 2019 and so I had like when this was coming out I had absolutely no idea about like all these previous allegations all this previous reporting um but to me it's just another example of like fans of this league getting led astray and covering and even though I know that there's an official investigation and I think from the NWSL they say he's on administrative leave I am not optimistic that there will be transparency going forward of like what for example the results of this like that thing of he was on his final HR strike like there's no transparency about that and it makes me think I was talking about this actually on another podcast um and it's just like really i mean this entire situation is really illuminating to me the one of the big failures of this league or like the time the league has failed just protecting players like not even for example physical protection sometimes in stadiums um but just that you know they didn't implement an anti-harassment policy until this year (laughs) like that is crazy to me and even though there was reporting that like people could report it or like there were some method but it wasn't clear like it's quite obvious it was not clear um or if it or if people didn't know they knew that nothing was going to happen so it's for me it's just like another example of like the the league leading fans astray um and so I guess a question that I have for you Doug of you know especially with you know Rose Room and all the, the other supporters groups do you even think at all that you will be like real fast thing going out the window uh you left no okay um do you think that the supporters groups like do you think you're going to be consulted at all you know kind of going forward of like you know hey we messed up we're trying to remedy this and like create a better thing going forward like do you even think that's kind of in the minds of the people leading this weird organization from the lower parts of the organization from like our community liaison they reached out to us during this time to check in had things to say from the higher ups of the ownership management. I don't know. And I don't have as much confidence right now. And to be honest, I'm not even sure. <laughs> I'm trying to think how to phrase this. If we, if, if Steve Baldwin wants to talk to us, great, but also no one wants to hear from him now, other than the words I'm selling anything he might have to explain. I don't want to freaking hear it from him. Um, something I can also add is that at this point, this is, we know who this person is. They've already established themselves who they are over his tenure of owning this team. I'll mention one story, and I told Andre this one in a Twitter chat, the the infamous Qatar Zoom. They've had this partnership where they had players from the team go over to the Qatar and do some soccer programs there. Um, it was not exactly for obvious reasons well-received here in the Spirit community. Spirit Squadron, before Rose Room Collective was formed, put out this excellent statement saying, this is bad, this is not good in any capacity, and we told you this was a bad idea from the onset. My story comes from the week of the announcement of that partnership, and then Squadron put out their statement. Later in the week, the team 
had been hosting these various trivia happy hour Zooms every other Friday. One of the things they would do to engage the fans, season ticket holders through COVID, they're always fun, relaxed, laid back. There was an infamous one where Steve Baldwin called in from Qatar into this Zoom. Again, this is the week Squadron issued the statement. He calls in from Qatar on a Zoom into that meeting to discuss the the how great this partnership is. And mind you, there are Spirit FO members in there and a guest player in that room when this happens. And then we approaches the subject of Squadron statement. He goes on a five to ten minute tangents, being incredibly defensive and almost going on a minor rant about why he was so disappointed and upset by that statement. And everybody in that room is just kind of like kind of the what the F kind of stares around like, what is this? What is going on? And he clearly felt slighted that people said, hey, maybe you're wrong here. He did not take that well. And it's that moment that I'll never forget that told me everything about him and his character that sums up how we got here today. It was one of the most mind boggling things I've ever seen from a professional sports team. One of the things that is so frustrating is that not only did this happen again, but it happened under the cover of COVID. So nobody could find out at all. Like that's the frustrating thing. Like the spirit have had maybe three or four open trainings and this has been this year alone. And obviously that's not enough. You know, Richie Burke, knowing what he can, what he's doing, having the past, oh, he can hold it together for a training, right? Like a training every month or two. Like, yeah, he can, he can make sure he doesn't do something like that. Or if he does it, it's quiet and and the media can't hear it. And then you try to get, and this is what I think Courtney was speaking to as well. You use a health reason to try to like engender sympathy for somebody who has been verbally abusing players so badly that he's on administrative leave and there's an investigation. Like the more you reflect on it, you're more just like the audacity. And like, it's just anybody affiliated with that cannot be allowed. Like thinking that that's the right option. You just can't be allowed to, to remain. I think one thing that worries me besides um, what often happens with, to me, like, and this is like not about soccer, but when, you know, big companies mess up and who is often taking the brunt of that abuse are social media people who, to be fair, tend to be more diverse um, because let's be real, Black Twitter runs the internet. But, you know, that's like one thing that worries me of like, who is taking the brunt of this, either like, even if, you know, maybe it's not social media abuse, but like people tweeting their grievances at the spirit. The other thing that worries me, and this kind of went back to another podcast that I was listening to, is the number of young players on this team. Like I know there are vets too on the spirit, but there have been a huge number of young players in the spirit on the team currently. And then on, you know, as young players previously. And what worries me is that like, because they're at the time, no repercussions that this has been normalized um and so it's like yeah you might go on to your next team you might not expect it but the fact that it was like the fact that it was normalized and kind of pushed upon these young players and thinking you know either I have to make myself a favorite (laughs) or if I'm not a favorite like you you kind of just have to deal with it like type of like a pick yourself up by your bootstrap just like keep going um and that's at least for me one thing that is really worrying going forward um, something to also add on top of that all is I also worry about this happening to other clubs across the league since we've already got the spirit as a pretty awful example. I'm 
worried about this happening at other teams as well, even currently? Like, what do we know and what we don't know about teams right now? Yeah, yeah, and absolutely. That Actually, that that's a good segue because we want to talk about the league overall as a whole. Um, but real quick before we do that, in terms of moving forward, um, what is your process and what is a supporters group, you know, Rose Room Collective looking forward to with the next coaching hire? I think we we posted as much that obviously whatever process they use to vet these coaches needs to be overhauled because obviously for Richie Burke, we knew this out there already and it still didn't matter. Whatever process is going to be in place now needs to be completely overhauled and redone to ensure that they actually can thoroughly look through the backgrounds of these coaches. And then it feels very, we mentioned this on our Twitter thread, but that they need to look at hiring a woman as well with the way this league rolls. It's just like, it cannot keep being another old white man as a manager. You've got to hire a woman in some capacity here. And obviously we would prefer a woman of color to be the head coach, but I can't even tell where the direction would go with this team. But that would be at least my two cents on that front. So, all right. So let's just let's talk about let, let's talk let's talk about the league overall now. All right. Let's let's go ahead and, and do that transition real quick. So what I'm what I'm going to do now is read a list of things that have kind of happened um, in the NWSL around the NWSL, and it's not a comprehensive list, but I think you'll find this a substantial list enough to be alarming. And I and and we want to kind of talk about where the league stands. After that, and we also want to talk about um, the CBA and the league's and Lisa Baird's approach to that and how much work the league has to do because they're failing on some bare minimum stuff. So, as you know, the I guess the most recent thing was the Richie Burke thing. Verbal abuse, you add that, you also add the cover-up to the verbal abuse and the investigation that was attempted that lasted all of 12 hours. Um, you also have what happened... I guess actually more recently than that was the misgendering of Quinn. And they ended up doing a, you know, um, complete, almost like player profile on them and continue to misgender uh, them. And that's just, again, one of those things. This is not new. This is not new information. Quinn has been out there. They have let people know what their pronouns are. And this continues to happen time and time again. Uh, you have Angel City who, you know, Woman-led had that report. They're looking into their first coach was going to be just this white male. It's another thing, just having no con- connection with their with their fan base or or any kind of accountability to what they claim to be. Elise Lahue, no idea what happened there. Still, again, now lawyers are involved. There's there's all kind of things, and we're never going to know what happened there unless somebody wants to talk about it ten years down the line. Um, so that's another strange situation. That situation dragged out for weeks. Then you have Angel City again with the David Dobrik situation, that owner who had issues, of a ton of sexism and misogyny in his past, straight up on YouTube, could Google it, no problem. But it's right there and suddenly people have to figure that, they finally figured that out and get him out of there. Before that, you have the Sarah Gordon situation at, well, I'll rephrase that, the Houston Dash situation that involves Sarah Gordon and her boyfriend um, where he was targeted after a match and told basically that COVID protocols, he couldn't be where he was, even though plenty of other white players and their family members were around and he was targeted and also even uh, threatened with arrest. Not only do you have that situation, you have the Houston Dash's first statement, public statement about that, which was just awful, just awful, just completely doesn't understand the point at all, kind of paints Sarah Gordon as not 
being like just just completely basically saying that she's lying. It's kind of what it boiled down to. It was just a really, really bad response. And then, of course, we got no transparency in that investigation. It was just over. The Houston Dash faced no punishment. The security there faced no punishment. There was no dip, nothing in the protocols that was altered or changed whatsoever. And so there you have that. You also have this visa fraud case that came out with uh, that, that mentions Christy Holly, who is current manager of Rossing Louisville. Yeah, I say Rossing, still going to do it. Um, and of course, you know about his past. We know about his past with an inappropriate relationship while he was head coach at Sky Blue. You also have James Clarkson, current coach of the Houston Dash, who had an insensitive chant after they won the Challenge Cup, where they basically took the players were chanting names of Indian food dishes and turning it into kind of like a, a rallying a cry. Chant. Yeah, it was very, very strange, very awkward. They almost kind of addressed it, but they keep that every time they want some like engagement on their socials, they drop that as if it's like it like I believe the video is still up um, on Instagram. And I also believe that it was included. I, I saw something. I, I shouldn't say this on the podcast without actually knowing, but I know it was included in something else um, that that brought it up again uh, when they were it was another reaction to it. We know that during the 2020 Challenge Cup, the it was very it was a massive burden for black players they used the casey krueger photo and 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 julie um Ertz photo and plenty of their marketing material without any real awareness or context of what that actually was they kind of used black black pain to put forward this this face this facade i suppose that they were and this was supposed to be this gorgeous moment when really it was casey krueger and pain hurting um you also have because of all of the difficult conversations that were having that were happening across the league and in every club. And when I say difficult conversations, I really mean black people were leaned on as to be, to not only excel on the pitch and in trainings, but also in explaining to their white teammates, white colleagues, you know, and this is something that Kaya talked about in that episode that we had with her as well, that it was just such a burden on them. They also had to perform, but also had to educate and not only educate, but also defend, because many of the other white players would also, you know, put the burden on them to prove their humanity. And being in a bubble in that sort of situation was just taxing. Through all of that, that we know through all of our player interviews that we've done, that that is what led to the creation of the Black Women's Player Collective, where that group says, okay, <laughs> we got to do something like as a group, because this was like, like they, they said they uh, had a group text together and they were just sharing their experiences and realized that they got to control their own story. And before that, you had the Deloy Hansen situation where that whole group, Utah Royals, FC, Real Salt Lake, that owner, just completely like the investigation drops with it. Actually, it wasn't even an investigation at the time. What ended up happening was players knelt um, ahead of a game, and he said that that was offensive to him. And so, of course, once that ended up, once that came out, then all these other stories came out. And the coach of the Dash at the time was Craig Harrington, who got a ton of, or the coach of the Royals, I'm sorry, came out and he got a ton of, of he got linked into all of this and had to eventually resign the position. But there were quotes from Lola Bonta, who was a Utah Royals player at the time where she said uh, of Craig Harrington, you had to be there to truly understand, but to put it into words, it was the most unprofessional, hostile, inhumane settings. People were treated very poorly. It was so disrespectful. 
She didn't get into details, but later on, she did say also, quote, our head coach maybe made a toxic environment for us, but our team would come together at our apartments and do film on our own. So that was all created through this Utah Royals organization. Of course, they now are have been under new ownership and in KC, where, of course, Lil Levanta still is. So I don't know how long I've been talking. I also just want to add that this is all on the back of how many news, like how many articles, how many press releases have we seen about, for example, Challenge Cup ratings out of 2020 that year over year is up almost 500%. The NWSL is growing. We're seeing new ownership. We're seeing all of these positive things, but it's on the back of all of this. And so it's just fully, I mean, it's not swept under the rug. Like we all, we all know about it, but when I often think about the narratives that people tell about the NWSL, it's all raw, raw instead of at times rut row. Yeah. So my thing with all of this is, and this is uh, by far, you can absolutely, you can absolutely go back farther than that. And even you can even go through the time period that I went through and find other stories that I, that I either didn't touch on, didn't mention or include. So I think the, the starting point for me is you notice that there is a very clear pattern in the league of players come dead last and the league will promote itself it will hoard corporate partnerships. And yes, you need those things to survive, but you're not doing the bare minimum thing of protecting your players and caring about your players. And all of that seems to have come, you know, all of that growth that Courtney mentioned seemed to come at the expense of the players. And now we're in a situation where the NWSL PA is negotiating with the NWSL for the first, um, the first ever of a league that's entering its 10th year. Uh, collective bargaining agreement. What, where, what is the league's position, and is the league just completely going to act? And, and this is a rhetorical question, but I would, I also would, would appreciate y'all's <laughs> response to it. Um, but like, the league seems to be ready to negotiate as if that list of things that I just read that was minutes long doesn't exist. It's not a good negotiating position to be in. I would say. If they continue like this, they're going to lose a lot of fans, if not most supporters, because we're here to support our players first. And if you continue to run them over, you can only push this. You can only push us to a limit. Also to take like thinking about, for example, one of the reasons why there's no CBA is people are like we need the league to survive. Right. Like we need to make sure that we have a league before we can even negotiate on these things. But also, will you have a league if no one likes playing in it? Like, right. Like, like there are all these examples. Um, And to be fair, like, you know, some of them are like a little, well, like some of the actual actions of them have been going on for years and years and years. Like, it's not like it, for example, this stuff started when Lisa Bear took over. But if you don't make, if these, like, if the baseline change, and this is for all the other things that like we as media supporters complain about. If you're not doing the the most basic thing of like, hey, the number one, the number one most important thing in this league are the players, then eventually you're just like, it's going to do a backslide. And it like, then it's like, what's the purpose? So this was kind of my thing about the NWSL and not understanding its audience. So, and, and I tweeted about this as well. It seems like the NWSL is is approaching these negotiations or the front office is approaching these negotiations from the standpoint of being the NHL, the NFL, NFL, the NBA, something like that. 
where they feel like they need to negotiate from a particular perspective of we need to protect ourselves and our assets and our money as opposed to helping the players and and not even helping the players just making sure that some bare minimum shit isn't done to them like they don't get abused for instance <laughs> right like like and so i think that's been my biggest thing is that is that the league doesn't realize that players actually have options like yes this is a very competitive league yes this is a very good league and you know who makes it that the players as european soccer european women's soccer grows there are plenty of options and to act like you have a, a the same monopoly that like the NFL has on talent is wrong and it's not going to end well and not only that as Courtney mentioned and as Doug mentioned you have a fan base that will not stand for that like you're not going to be able to continue to abuse these players before we're just going to you know the, like the fans are just going to be like hey i want the players, number one, to be safe. So if that means you got to go to the WSL, if that means you got to go to the Frau Bundesliga, that means that you got to go to to the D1 Arkema. It doesn't matter where you are. We will support you wherever you are. So accessibility is growing and the players have options. <laughs> and it's just so, it's such a, it's such a common stance in American sports for, uh, for, for a league to take. But that's why it's ultimately so disappointing, I think, from the league, is that you don't have to. This has kind of been my thing about the league the entire time. Like, you can lead. You actually can. <laughs> and actually, you really should. Because your league does not have the same, you know, straight white male fan base that's just going to deal with a lot of exploitation of its labor. That's the reason why the NFL can get away with so much of that. And this, a similar approach, like... That's the only thing at the point at the moment. And I won't say the only thing as if it's like not a feasible thing. Like it's a big thing and it can take this league down if they don't understand that the players are what makes it. The players draw in the fans. This is how soccer operates around the world. <laughs> you know, you're not the NFL. You're not the NFL just because you're in America. Soccer is a global sport and this is what does it. And, the, and so many fans feel connected to the players and are going to feel connected to the players wherever they play. I also am kind of recalling back some of the older players in this league have also seen, if not at least watched or took part in at least a couple of other women's pro leagues in this country already fall in the past. Like I'm thinking back to like the debacle of the Magic Jack, letting seeing what happened there. And I'm now it's like we're in a space in a space now where if it happens again here, there's other options. They have options on the table that can go to Europe or anywhere else. Like they won't, it's not the same as back then. It's hard to not sound too like doom and gloom about all of this stuff because I, I genuinely feel though that the, the frustration with a lot of this is that it's so bare minimum that the league could turn this around within like a week or two. <laughs> like give us processes, give us, you know, some sort of transparency, give us some awareness, show us that you're hearing your actual fan base that wants you to use players' proper pronouns, right? Like just do the basic shit. And if you just do that, then okay. Like you, then you let the players play in the league and, and, and continue to curate the type of support that they always do. Because like I said, you're not entitled to it. And I think that that's the part that really frustrates me about the NWSL is they come across, the front office, the league, seems to come across as if they're entitled to this. I, I get that sense that they 
from talking to other supporters that the league seems to isolate themselves away and don't even in many cases hear the supporters. And for lack of a way to say this, you can't do that. Not here. Don't do that. Um, it would, it would do them so much to just either engage with larger entities like the ISC where a lot of these crews are formed into or have a fan liaison. One of my best friends has been posting on Twitter being like, just hire me or anyone else that can connect the league to supporters because they can tell you they're not standing for this crap and can easily turn around and be like, no, we're not doing this. Well, and also one thing that going back to transparency is, and this is like something I do not know, but a question that I have is like, is it, for example, just transparency with like, in theory, the outside world, like media fans, people outside of these organizations, or is it true? Like, you know, thinking about all of these things like between Sarah Gordon, but also like the results from the Delaware Hanson investigation to Utah Royals, like, is it also that they're not being transparent with us or is it true? Like no transparency, like even the like players don't know or they're or players aren't even given like even a little bit more information. Cause I feel like if it's the case where it's like, not us, like we're not going to tell you anything, but we're going to try to be as like, maybe not even transparent, but even just giving like players more information. I think that's like a completely different conversation, but I'm also, I can't lie, not super confident that that is happening either. So like that kind of stuff is just frustrating. And you know what, while y'all were talking, I realized I forgot one big thing in that whole rundown, the partnership with the Rise organization. I also <laughs> thought about that. And I was like, we did not mention it, but we're... <laughs> oh, I mean, so like, this is kind of like where I, I guess ultimately, and I want to, I, I know we've kind of talked a, a bit about this. So I kind of want to come to kind of, kind of wrap it up a little bit. I think the way I look at this and I would like, you know, both of y'all's perspectives on this is, but, but my read on this is that the league is at a genuine crossroads right now. Um, and these CBA negotiations are super important. Um, I also want to shout out the NWSL PA and some of the work that they're doing. Um, I like their campaign, no more side hustles because they've already, they're, they're showcasing how much money some of the players don't make. And that a lot of the players have to have side hustles or other jobs in order to have a sustained um, like quality of life while they are actually professional athletes. So I kind of look at all this and you look at the popularity of the NWSL higher than it's ever been with all of this stuff in its past. And I believe that the league, the front office can either look at this and say, we have got here and we are absolutely lucky to be here. Or they look can look at this and say, we're here because we've made the right decisions and we've done things to get us to this point. At the moment, I think the latter is kind of where they're leaning. I, they really need to be too, towards the former. Some bare minimum stuff needs to happen in this CBA and it cannot be used as a bargaining chip from the league. Like protecting the players is not a place to bargain. That's not where you start. Um, there needs to be some a bare minimum foundation of what they're going to do. And they need to, and this needs to be one of the most player centric CVAs that there is. And I think, again, one league I didn't mention, but really want to mention is the WNBA. Shout out always. Yep. That's Easily. the blueprint. That's the blueprint. Um, but also not WNBA from 1996, like the WNBA from today. Exactly. So I, I and I tweeted about this, like the, the NWSL can learn from those mistakes or they can repeat them. If they repeat them, they might not have a league. 
And that was really where the WNBA was. There's a podcast that was out. Um, I believe it's called Spen- Spencer's Podcast. Lindsay Gibbs of Burn It All Down was on it. She chronicled the WNBA and the WNBA uh, Players Association, how they um, came together to form one of the strongest league and player associations, bonds that there's been. The NWSL really needs to pay attention to because they're at the point where if they do this wrong, it's a wrap. In terms of the league future, I'm pretty much there with you. The CBA feels like the biggest junction point of where it'll turn. I don't know what the future is going to hold. I am worried myself. I apologize. I'm not really formulating this thought well, but everything feels like it's coming to a head right now through all of the things you listed out. And if this league HQ does not get it together, yeah, I don't know what the future holds, but it will not be good. It will not be ugly. I don't even know if there will be a league. We'll find out. Honestly, I feel the same. I really think that the league is at a crossroads. And surprisingly, even though there's whole history, not even talking about 25 years to the WNBA, but like previous iterations of women's professional soccer in the States that they can look to to be like, hey, let's not make the same mistakes. Am I confident that that's going to happen? I've had a maybe. <laughs> I I'm not full in either direction, but I mean, they've got to get it right. Otherwise, I don't like I don't know what this league will look like, for example, for the next 10 years or even if it'll exist in the next 10 years if things do not start changing soon. I have no idea if if anybody anywhere close to the league will ever listen to this. Uh, and if do, they do, DM I don't know if they will, <laughs> right? Uh, if they do, I don't know if they'll make it this far into the podcast anyway. Uh, but if they do, you have really good supporters groups out there. Don't cherry pick who you talk to. Talk to the supporters groups. Get the real, like, and like Courtney said, you're going to get roasted. Because if, you, if, you, if you're here, then you realize that that whole list of things that I read is fresh in every supporter's mind. They know where the, where the league has made these missteps. Talk to them. Like, they're going to tell you exactly what they expect from you. And you can't just keep making decisions in your siloed boardrooms and thinking that this growth that you're experiencing is 100% because y'all looked at the spreadsheet and things look great and you've made the right decisions because you've made so many bad decisions and you're being kept afloat by all of the talent in the league, all the dope people in the league. And it's wild to me that you need somebody to tell you that. Right. Our whole idea is that we want to be able to connect bridges with everyone, like bring folks together that want to make this game better for everybody else. Talk to people in this organization, even cultivate friendships with players. Shout out to Tegan, shout out Tegan McGrady. We love you. Um, we also love you too here. Friend of the pod. <laughs> hey. But yeah, the whole idea is that there's so much more to it off the field. It's more than just wins and losses. It's a whole ass world out there that we want to cultivate and make things better out here. It's not just, oh, I go there, support 90 minutes and then get out. It's like, no, there is so much more to it than that. And I want to be able to tell this league HQ that, yeah, there's really that, that there's just so much more to it. I'm bad at summarizing these things up. No, I think that's perfect. And I think that that actually is like, a good place to end because that's exactly why we wanted to bring you on. And it is people like you, you know, people in the, that build the supporters groups to create that community need to be engaged with. And honestly, if you don't do it for like the pure, like reasons that we're talking about, 
just do it so you don't keep falling on your face. We told Steve, don't do the Qatar partnership. You ended it anyway. You saw the results. You played that game. You won the prize. It's it's not hard. Just stop taking L's. Well, and what do they say? Play stupid games, win stupid prizes. My favorite, my favorite phrase. All right. Well, appreciate it. Uh, thank you so much, Doug, uh, of Rose Room Collective. Uh, again, find them on Twitter. Find them on Instagram. Um, thank you so much for stopping by. Is there any any final words you want to leave with the people before we get out of here? Um, just find us on all of our socials, especially Lisa Baird. We would love to talk to you. We'd love to hash this out a little bit and give you the ways to get this league to grow a little better. And uh, reinforcing, we love all the players in the spirit. And again, special shout out to Tegan McGrady. We love her and always room for her. Yep. Find Rose Room Collective at Rose Room Co. C-O on Twitter. Is that the same on Instagram? I think it's at Rose Room Collective on Instagram. Thanks so much. Thanks, guys. Thanks for listening to Diaspora United Podcast. Please subscribe and rate and review us anywhere you get your podcasts. Follow us on Twitter at Diaspora United Pod. That's Diaspora UTD POD. And message us if there's anything you want us to talk about in our next podcast. See you next time.